Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode features a special guest from Engaged HR. She stops by to talk recruitment and retention in an incredibly tight labor market. Our conversation covers marketing, culture development, and the importance of creating an employee value proposition, and a whole lot more. Our conversation starts now. So my name is Ruth Eden, and I'm the Manager of Professional Services at Engaged HR, where I've worked for the last six years. Uh, Engaged HR is a Victoria-based HR consulting firm that provides a wide variety of HR services. We support organizations with uh, establishing, updating, executing any internal process, procedure, or system. And this includes, say, training on HR best practices, uh, recruitment, policy creation, employee relations, anything of those sorts. Um, And frequently we work day to day with our clients as their internal HR department. And then we also uh, can be there on call when you need us. Awesome. Well, Ruth, it's really great to have you on. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, One of the main drivers for that is in our discussions with businesses across the island and province, recruitment and finding quality employees is almost pain point number one across the board. And so to kind of jump into this, I want to ask you a little bit about kind of recruitment for for SMEs or the small and medium-sized businesses. Are there some trends that you are seeing right now in terms of maybe the industries or job types or could be internal HR challenges? But can you kind of speak to what you're seeing in the marketplace right now? Yeah, for sure. So I think the the biggest thing is that no industry, I think, is left left unscathed at the moment. This the labor shortage that we are experiencing is impacting all industries across the board at every level, from entry level to the most senior person in the organization. It's tight right across the board. It's very evident. You can walk down the street, walk into the mall. Everybody's got signs about help wanted. Our hours are reduced, and I think in the retail sector, you see it in your face. Uh, in professional office settings, it's a bit more hidden, but they're because they're working in big office towers. But the same issue is still there. Everybody uh, is experiencing this talent shortage, this labor shortage that we've got. So there's a lot of what I'm seeing in terms of the recruitment market. A lot of it comes down to being very clear on what it is that you really need to have for the employees in your organization. What is it? What are the roles must haves? Um, and being, if you're clear on that, then you can ensure that you're casting a net that is accurate, that is um, effective, essentially. Um, you don't necessarily need to attract 100 people for one job, but you do need to be sure that you're targeting the right person. Um, some of the workarounds that em- employers are looking into now is that uh, they'll um, say bonus or provide incentive bonuses for their existing employees to keep them in place. So if they've had a couple of people leave or if the, business, the organization is growing more often than not, that seems to be the pinch is that people are in demand because organizations are doing really well and they need to hire more people. Uh, so giving some sort of incentive bonus for employees to recognize the additional work that they're undertaking or taking on. And then also in terms of attraction, bonuses for employees when they sign on um, is becoming more common as well. Are there some common mistakes that you're seeing uh, that businesses are making uh, kind of in this as they're trying to attract these employees? Yeah, I think hiring managers still often assume that recruitment is fast, that it's quick to bring in a new person. It generally takes about two to three months to fill a position unless you already have an existing pipeline of of candidates or applicants that you can reach out to. 
So I think this feeds into my next mistake that I think organizations are making is that they have the mindset that this labor shortage is temporary. So I think for all organizations, COVID has impacted everybody differently. But if, so if you think back to for your organization, when was the last sort of normal time, the normal time of uh, recruitment activity, normal business operations? And I'm going to bet that at that normal time, you had less job openings than you have today. Um, so regardless of industry, the need to invest in recruitment and look at it as a long-term game, not just a short-term, um, we just need to throw resources or money at it for the next month and then the problem will be solved. That's not going to solve the problem. This is a bit, it's a bigger issue. What feeds from that as well is that if you're not investing in recruitment um, and putting the, even the technology behind it, so ensuring that you've got enough contracting and system in place, uh, to help out your HR people who are trying to fill these positions for you, who are, who are investing their time and energy. An African tracking system certainly makes it all that more efficient. I think that a lot oftentimes, because can't, employers are so rushed to just want to get a body through the door, they will undervalue the candidate experience and not treat candidates well as they move through the recruitment process. So just because somebody's not a fit for you today doesn't mean they're not going to be a fit for you in six months or a year. So keeping that candidate experience in mind with the people who are applying for your open positions. In the interest of trying to save time, employers will often put up uh, red tape. So lots of questions or a difficult applicant uh, application process. If you want to get somebody into your applicant tracking system, they'll have to apply online, etc. Uh, but making that process as simple and uh, as simple as possible and asking as few of questions as possible to ease the experience for the candidate again. If you put up too many barriers, they're not going to make it through your whole application process. Um, so just being mindful of that uh, as well. One of the things that it really stuck out to me as we were doing the prep for this um, interview was there was a, kind of a change in the way that businesses have been or need to look at their employees and recruiting in general. I think there was businesses in the past have looked at it as almost you're doing people a favor by giving them a job versus where it's transitioned to now the uh, the employee is doing you the favor of investing their time and, and careers with you. Can you are you able to kind of flush that out? I hope I don't know if I summarize that properly, but. Yeah, I think people who have been hiring or in a high position where they've been hiring employees for decades or years and years are still stuck in the mindset that um, you're doing them a favor, right? They should be thankful that you gave them a call back and that you're interested in their application. And you have to really get over yourself and move on from that concept because uh, that's not at all where we're at. You need to be, this is, this sort of revolves around the candidate experience. You need to be appreciative of the people who are taking the time to show interest and reach out to you about the positions that you've got in your organization. Um, so I, I think that is something uh, that mindset um, is very, it's outdated and is not going to serve your organization well. Uh, you need to be respectful of people's time. You need to communicate what the process is so they know what's coming, they know what to expect. All of that helps improve the candidate experience. And even if you didn't hire, if you don't hire them this round, that they may reapply in the future when maybe they've got a few more years of experience or a few more months of experience, or you've got a different type of opening that maybe they're better suited for. So yes, it's a, certainly a mind shift. You need to recognize the time that the candidate has invested to even talk to you and you need to appreciate them for that. 
Yeah, no, I love that. I thought that was a tremendous point to make um, in the marketplace. Uh, in the tail end of kind of this segment, within the construction sector, specifically with, I would say, skilled labor, the trades, are, is there anything outside the box or anything unique that you're seeing right now? Because I know that it's one of the, the hottest, most challenging markets that's out there right now. Yes. So I think in terms of trends that I'm hearing or seeing from them is that, for from that industry, I should say, I think they're recognizing the importance of of increasing their reliance on their existing team to spread the word about existing opportunities. So that's an increased reliance on passive networks. So you want to have, we want to ensure that you've got employee, employer, employee referral plans in place and that your employees know about it and that they've also, that you're creating a culture that people want to brag about, right? That you want your, your employees want to actually talk about coming um, to work and we've got an opening. It'd be great if you could work with me. Um, you should apply for this job. So it, they're really tapping into more of the referral network from their existing team. Traditionally, Construction has not been as progressive in terms of their ways of doing things. I think that they're learning that that online presence is really important. If you're going to get applicants in the door, you need to be online in some way, shape or form and uh, making people aware of the opportunities. You talked about an employee value proposition. And so the, the question was, how can a business best position themselves to become a desirable destination uh, to work? Um, but I'm wondering, can you flush that out a little bit? For sure. I think that what's sort of new and evolving from the world of recruitment, and I shouldn't say it's new, large organizations have been doing this for a very long time. But what's new is that smaller organizations are starting to pick up on the like, oh, this is what this is really important. I'm going to need to invest in this. And what it is, is the employee value proposition. So this is employers making a distinct effort to market themselves as an employer of choice. So the way, just the way an organization or company would market to clients or market to potential customers, we now need to look at recruitment as a way of marketing as the need to market to potential candidates, to your next employees, looking again at this from um, a long-term perspective. This is not going to fill your position tomorrow, but it will in a year, it will in two years, and it will help build your, your pipeline of candidates. So the employee value proposition is um, talking about why would somebody come work for you? What is it about your organization that is different from the company just across the street from you? Why would somebody want to work for you? And being very clear on that. So that's understanding what is the culture of your organization. That's understanding why, if you look around your team, who are the people that have been there for five or 10 years or 20 years? Those are the people that you want to talk to. Why do they stay with you? Understand what makes your organization unique and appealing and attractive. And then that is what you, how you want to market yourself to candidates in the recruitment process. I guess to dig into that a little bit deeper, how can businesses advertise the positions that they do have more effectively? When I, like when I think about recruitment, I think about, you know, Indeed or, you know, what there are all these different kind of ag- job aggregators. Are there specific platforms or tactics that you guys use that maybe are different than other that people might think? Yeah, so I think from the employee value proposition perspective, that becoming, marketing yourself as an employer of choice, that's a bigger picture discussion. If we're looking at what you need to do, what can you do tomorrow? 
Um, maybe I'll look for looking at that this question from that perspective. So I think the employer branding to candidates is extremely important, and that is the way of the future. If you do not, or if you're not clear on the, your culture and why a candidate would want to apply or why an employee would want to work for you, you're doing yourself a disservice. So there's that. That's a bigger strategy piece. From the what can you do today? Much as I hate to say this, indeed is unfortunately. Um, it is it is important. If you're you need to put money against the jobs that you've got posted on Indeed. If you're not paying for advertising on Indeed, uh, your jobs are not being seen by anybody. So I will say that I think Indeed is an absolutely horrific platform. I compare it in my mind. I look at it like the Amazon world for recruitment is that they're they no they don't care they couldn't care less what an employer's experience is uh, in navigating Indeed and working with it. Uh, the only thing they care about is that candidates uh, know who they are. Um, so they've nailed that, but they're terrible to work with, but it's the necessary evil. Uh, so outside of that, outside of Indeed, you need to stand out uh, in your job advertisement. A common mistake that sometimes I see is that organizations will actually post their full job description as a job posting. You need to look at those as two very distinct and different things. You have a job description. Great. That's the position. That's all the detail. That's all the, the boring stuff, if I can call it that. If somebody has shown interest in what the, like the, the exciting part of the job. So when you're marketing your job, when you're creating your job posting, you need to stand out. So do something that is eye-catching, do something that is different so that you just don't blend into the background of everybody else who's also recruiting for an admin assistant at right now. It's very competitive, so you need to be unique to get attention. Awesome. That's powerful, powerful advice. And I love the uh, transparency on your thoughts on Indeed. Um, <laughs> Not my favorite. <laughs> I couldn't tell. Um, I, and I, I, perhaps this might go back to the, the EVP side of things, but culture is, is such an interesting topic. And I'm, I'm looking at it this from the lens of maybe a business of 10 or 25, maybe 50 employees as they start to start to, to have these real challenges in terms of bringing new employees on, what can they do to start thinking and developing or defining culture? Yeah. You need to understand why people stay with you. You can do things such as like a culture assessment to really learn what your employees think about you. What is it like to work at your organization? Why do they stay? What do they value? Uh, so I think that would be an important component. If you really want to dig into the employee value proposition and uh, what makes your culture unique and why people stay with you, that would be an important piece. Um, so, of course, hand in hand with that is really talking to your employees. So when somebody leaves your organization, ensure that you're doing exit interviews and absolutely talking to the people with, who have been with you for a number of years. Uh, for small businesses in particular, often that organization is born out of a very interesting or unique story. So somebody has gone into, has opened this business and put their sort of blood, sweat and tears into creating this organization. Why? Why did they do that? Where did, the, where did this passion come from? So for small organizations, often your uh, unique the unique element about you, the, the reason why somebody would be attracted to working for you comes from the CEO's story. Um, so it'd be very important to uh, talk to them about that. Jumping a little bit forward here, when you bring on a new employee, you find the one for this situation, do you have an advice on retaining them? I know what, what led me to, to put this question down is you talked about kind of the onboarding process. You kind of have to stay on people once 
you have an accepted offer. It doesn't just kind of stop there. Okay, come in and get going. Can you kind of uh, elaborate on that a little bit about just what retention looks like from the moment that it, that you've committed to an employee? Yeah, so onboarding starts the moment you've got an accepted offer. So that means communicating with the employee about what they can expect, right? Surprises are unnerving. Accepting a new job, moving to a new position is nerve wracking for anybody. Um, Most people are very adverse to change. So how do you help them along through that journey? I'm going to pick it back just a little bit and think and just say that I think that COVID has really highlighted the importance of having internal HR processes in place. I think that organizations that had their HR house in order, so to speak, did better through the COVID storm um, and continue to do better through the COVID storm because they've had those processes to lean on and point to and uh, rely on. Um, And I think what it's done for other organizations is highlight the need to get them in place. So like I say, it starts with the onboarding process. So onboarding, I guess maybe to sum it all up, you want to ensure that uh, your your new employee feels like they belong with the organization. That's the ultimate purpose of onboarding. So tell them in advance what they need to expect. Uh, what they can expect on their first day. And that means everything from like where to park, who they're going to talk to, uh, what they need to wear, get handhold them up through all of those little steps. And then ensure that you've not just put them in front of a desk and given them their password and walk away, right? You need to, ha- you need to tell them how they fit into the bigger picture. How, what, what is the impact that their work, that the work that they're going to do have on the larger organization? How do they fit into that big piece, that piece of the culture and the piece of the, Um, the business operations. So I think that if you see that you've got turnover, so after, if you've got turnover within the first six months reoccurring, what I would say is that I think it would be a you, that's a you problem. That's something to do with your onboarding process that is broken. Um, So this could be, does your manager need people management training? Do you have an onboarding process in place that people can point to and follow so that it can be successfully repeated? And it's not just dependent on your one super friendly person being in the office when that person starts on that day. Uh, So you need to think about the the bigger picture as well. Usually when a new employee starts, um, work has been building and piling up behind them, right? You've been short-staffed. So don't just throw them off the deep end and give them the whole pile of workload and make sure that your expectations for them are realistic. Uh, it takes people weeks uh, at the very at the very low end to be contributing in maybe a frontline position. It takes people six months to be contributing in a more complex professional office environment position. So you need to be giving them the space and ensure that your expectations are aligned. And all of that is communicated through a robust onboarding process. That is incredibly valuable information. And the final one here, just on, I guess, the recruitment side of things or, or HR in general, and it, you, anyways, you touched on a little bit about the role of social media and online reviews. Do you see that as something that kind of a lot of employees or, or prospective employees are kind of scouring the internet for before even applying at places? For sure. Um, so I think the rule of thumb of less than three stars is bad and more than three stars is good for just when you're buying a dishwasher applies to employers as well. Uh, so yes, it is important. And I think everybody looks, it is one of those things that is difficult to manage, right? Cause it's your, uh, if an employee has had a really bad experience and maybe there was something very unique about their circumstance that happened and rolled through, they are way more likely to write a review than somebody who had a fantastic experience and uh, moved to the next step of their career, which happened to be outside of your organization. So you want to be, you want to have a plan around that. You want to, within, um, 
I guess it's a it's the holistic strategy because if you just tell, email all your staff today, like, well, we had a bad, bad review come in yesterday. Everybody needs to put a good review on Glassdoor. It's very insincere. Employees will probably not feel, um, they won't appreciate that kind of request. So a bit of a strategy around maybe if somebody's had a really positive experience, they just had a project that finished really well. If you want to ask them, um, it would be really helpful for our organization from a recruitment perspective if you if you talked about your experience with us on Glassdoor and uh, sort of in the moment and targeted to specific people in the organization, ask them to give their feedback. Um, and in addition to that, when you have good employees leave the organization to ask them, solicit their feedback and give them the link and help them make it easy for them to write something positive about you just because human nature people are more likely to complain than they are to praise so make it easy on your good employees to say something nice about you and because it does matter it is important yeah no i i absolutely agree with you there i want to ask you a couple of personal questions if that's okay and the first one just being kind of how did you get involved in hr and kind of how did your career evolve to to where you are now and engaged so I first started when I when I left when I graduated high school. Uh, my goal was to run my own business. That is what I wanted to do. So I went to UBC and I went into uh, uh, the commerce program there. So in my second or third year of the commerce program, was exposed to HR and thought, "Well, this is lovely. Well, maybe this is like the best part of running a business is the people side of it." Uh, so which is like is very much the cliche HR answer for it. But it very it really is that I really enjoy working with people and. Um, Within the HR, there's so much diversity itself. So in the field of HR, you can be specialized in probably 15 different areas at least. Um, so it's very broad and interesting. And really, like people are a little bit crazy. So it keeps things really interesting. No day is predictable. And even if you've done it before, I'm sure somebody's going to imagine a new way to put a spin on a, on a situation and it feels new again. Uh, so that's what I really enjoy about HR. In terms of my career and how I got to engage within the first, I don't know, four or five years of my career, I probably did the typical thing that everyone in their 20s does. And I jumped jobs every probably year, year and a half through public, private sectors. Uh, and then thought, this is going to look bad on my resume if I don't stick with it for another couple of, for a couple of years, at least at one place. And I uh, started working for a recruitment agency called Red Seal Recruiting in town in Victoria. And I was with them for nine years, moved through to be their general manager. And then from there, um, moved uh, to Engage the HR, where I've been the last six years um, as an associate. And then this year, promoted into a manager professional services role. From when you think about from your time in those first couple of roles where you're hopping around to where you're at now, can you talk about kind of how your approach has changed or evolved from kind of then to now? For sure. I think um, a common uh, belief within people who are new to HR, there's the feeling that, well, I'm in HR because I want to make it a better place for employees. I want employees to have a great experience and I I want to do my part to to help that. And I feel that throughout your career in HR, I think at some points you hit the well, no, what, really what you, everybody needs is systems and processes and like rules to follow because outside of that, there's, it's chaos. And so you sort of slip into the, oh no, what we need is like a hard line about this is okay, this is not okay. And then from that, you sort of realize that if that is your only perspective, if, if it really, so I'm going to make a bit of a jump here. I think that if rules and process and everything is how an organization should run, then in theory, everyone should be replaceable, right? You should have 
systems in place, recruit uh, pro SOPs, uh, processes in place so that if somebody leaves the next day, you've got your next person in place and business continues without, without a hitch, right? That's also part of HR, business HR is that business continuity piece. So I think from that sort of spectrum of like, oh, I want to be everybody's best friend to that, oh no, rules are really important. Um, it sort of slides into the, well, that's still not the whole picture, right? If you've got great SOPs and processes in place, that's great. You get one gold star, but what you're missing is that you're missing the secret sauce. You're missing the culture piece and what really makes an organization great to work for and what really encourages employees to do their best and feel like they can try something new and be creative. And that all comes into the culture piece. And I think throughout my career in HR, I think that seeing the different components of what that really means has expanded my, my view of all that. And I guess I'm looking at things more now from a, a different perspective, um, if, that makes, if that makes sense, sort of from that 30,000 foot uh, level now and how it all works together. And there's no one sort of quick fix to have the perfect HR processes, perfect HR culture. Um, it all feeds in together. Uh, getting towards the tail end here, just want to dig in, uh, ask a little bit about engaged HR. So you kind of touched on the high level of, of the business at the beginning, but um, are you able to elaborate on just maybe a why outsource the HR function? Is there kind of situations where you guys come in best or can you, can you dig into that a bit? For sure. So we provide a full range of HR services to organizations who either don't have HR or in need of additional HR capacity. So maybe they have an HR team, but they've got a big project that's rolling through and they need extra capacity for a period of time. So organizations benefit from the collective wisdom and experience that we have. So we're a team of just over 20 HR professionals. And when they hire us, they get the, that hive knowledge, that hive expertise. So it's not just one individual who you get their opinions, perspective, and their work history. As a team, we work very collaboratively. So if you've got something that's very unique, um, we would look at that from the perspective of taking that to the whole group, right? We would take that to the whole team. So you've got 20 other HR professionals giving input on what might be a very complex issue or supporting a very complex issue if what you need is resources against a, an issue or problem or project. That's, I think, the benefit of uh, working with an HR consulting company such as ourselves is that uh, the, the brain power and the resource power behind us. And then last one is just, is there a size of business that kind of where you slide in optimally? So we do, we work with organizations from a very wide range of sizes, really. Um, everything from a single person startup to large sophisticated organizations with say, hundreds of people across the country who need additional capacity uh, for their existing HR teams. So we're proud to be the largest provider of HR services in the not-for-profit sector in BC. So they represent about half of our clients. Um, the other half is primarily made up of small to medium-sized businesses, as well as uh, cross-country organizations that need expertise across multiple jurisdictions. So we do uh, also proud to claim and uh, advertise that we do have a client organization in every province and territory in Canada. So we're not, we're based in Victoria. We operate across Canada. That is awesome. So I've got four quick ones to get you out of here. Do you have a favorite book or a podcast? Uh, it could be a business book, it could be a pleasure reading, whatever you like. Um, so I would have to recommend the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Mancioni is a very good read. If you've not read it, uh, I would highly recommend it. And it, sort of dovetailing from that is they, he also does a podcast called At the Table. 
and it is, um, it's a little bit salesy. So I'm not going to say that every one of his podcasts is like is nail gripping, but he's got a lot of really great information in there. And I would to call out one podcast that I feel that I've really like, um, clung on to in these last year and a half as we navigate the COVID chaos, um, is that uh, podcast that he does around efficiency versus effectiveness. And he talks about how leaders very often we, we pin our, pin our hopes on like what's most effective. Cause that's the most that well, I just want to be, what's the most effective versus what's the most efficient. So just because you have to say something five times doesn't mean that it's a waste of your time because maybe that's what is going to be the most effective in the long run. Um, so just, yeah, I think that uh, those would be my two recommendations. That is awesome. I'm literally finishing the ideal team player right now. I just, it's the first one that I've read of his. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. Uh, best personal advice that you've received. It'd certainly be early on in my career. Um, and I cannot remember if it was a mentor that I had when I was in university or how, how who said it to me. I wish I could remember who, uh, but they told me to never say no to an opportunity. If somebody asks you to do something, it's because they believe that you will be successful at it. And so, yes, I think especially early on in my career, that was a very helpful piece of advice. Okay. Awesome. Uh, app or piece of software that you can't live without. It could be on your phone, on your work computer, whatever. Um, I don't have like a great answer to this. I asked my husband last night and he joked, he's like CBC. I'm like, oh, that's probably true. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> I'm so boring. <laughs> hey, no, no, there's no wrong answers. Believe me, it's actually more exciting we get. And it's not to dump on the people who say Excel, but I get Excel the most and Office, oh. <laughs> three, Office 365. So don't, uh, <laughs> you actually do have an exciting answer. Very last one uh, for you. Favorite restaurant on Vancouver Island? Uh, I'm going to stick local here in Victoria, and I do not live far from the Crooked Goose on Wilkinson and Interurban, and that is my go-to if somebody asks me, what do you feel like eating tonight and nobody feels like cooking, which is frequent, uh, we go to the Crooked Goose. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.